Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. I'm Peg Queen, and today, March 26th, is my birthday. In fact, it's my very last one in my 40s. Whoa. Anyway, last week, my daughter brought me home an early gift while we were on retreat in Costa Rica, though I'm not sure that's what she intended. It's a pretty serendipitous story, actually. My daughter Megan spent an afternoon surfing with a woman who she was sure I'd really like. Not only did she surf, but she also practiced Ashtanga Yoga. Megan liked her so much, she photographed her. And when she pulled out her Polaroid, I recognized the woman immediately. Christine Moore, a woman who's been practicing Ashtanga for over 20 years and received the blessing to teach from the late Sri K. Patabi Joyce Guruji. Now, if you're a woman in this practice, I don't need to tell you how rare it is to find women with that kind of depth and experience in the practice. And quite honestly, she couldn't have stepped off a board and into my life at a more auspicious time. That evening, Christine joined our retreat for dinner, and afterwards, Jen Renee looked at me and said, I didn't realize what we were missing until we met her. And so we invited Christine over the next day to continue our conversation, but this time, recorded. Because as I realized then, and you'll realize after listening, no way Christine's gift was just meant for me, or Jen, but for you too. I love that you have to make up a bio for yes. this. <laughs> this is perfect. Okay, that's perfect. All of my bios have been written by students of mine. Have they really? Yeah, because I'm just like, it's so hard to write your own stuff. So I write for other people, but to write your own is odd. So all my students, I've had students write them for me. That's a great so idea. So what do they say? Well, because they've lived with me or, you know, or studied with me, they usually talk about what it's like to be in class with me. Yeah. And? And, and? <laughs> well, I think most people talk about how I'm a very traditional teacher, but have a pretty lighthearted, um, compassionate um, way of being in the room. So. You have to be lighthearted. Yeah. I have to tell you, I feel like you were sent here. I mm. feel like somebody even said that at the pool, like there couldn't be a more divine intervention that you were here. Oh, I mean, so I, I really <laughs> believe that. Oh. I. I, when I heard, I've heard for many years, you know, they're always like, oh, you just missed Christine Hoare. Uh-huh. Do you know who she is? And I'm like, no, I mean, I know who yeah, she is, but yeah. no, I've never met her. And they, yeah. oh, you have to meet her. Oh, you have oh, to sweet. meet her. But you're always gone by the time I get here. And so yeah. this year, yeah. Megan comes in. So my yeah. daughter's like, wow, I just met another Ashtangi out in the water. Uh-huh. Mom, do you, you might know her. She's so cool. <laughs> she's out there surfing with me and she's so good. <laughs> and you had just captured my daughter's. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Well, she actually endeared herself to me. I was like, all right, you're 20 and you're doing wet plate photography. Like how cool are you? Do you know Joni Sternbach who just, she did a wet plate of me and, um, and, uh, and she's like, Oh my God, I totally know her. And I said, well, we got talking about, you know, doing all the surfers and the tin types. And, and I said, well, have you ever thought about doing yogis? Because pictures of like the timeless photography of Krishnamacharya and so not even really in postures, but just like the pictures, she came to my yoga shala in Montauk and she saw the pictures of Guruji up on the wall, the old the really old ones of him and she was like wow those are just so beautiful and it's because of the sort of the quality of the photography and the look in his eyes where you see sort of how completely present Guruji was but also in what a different space he was you know he lived 
he lived completely present, but also, you know, in another world. So you were telling yeah. my daughter this out on the board? No, I just told oh. her, no. I just told her. I just was like looking at her, thinking, if at twenty years old I had half, um, you know, the the you know, coolness of you. You know, when I was twenty, I was just finishing college, right? And yeah, I was pre med. I thought I was going to go to med school. And then I decided not to go to med school, and you know, and then I was just sort of like, I, now I don't really know what I want to do. So, I wasn't anyway. like her when I was twenty either. She's cool. Well, she thinks you're cool, yeah. and <laughs> I think you're cool, yeah. and yeah. part it, I think that when she was out there with you, it was really neat for her because she does not get exposed to many uh, female Ashtanga teachers mm. other than us. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the truth. Yeah. Most are male. Yeah, um, that are around her, yeah. and yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I mean she's my daughter, obviously, and I want her to have female role models to look up to. Yeah, um, yeah. and yeah. yeah, there you are, yeah. an Ashtangi cool. out on a surfboard, like totally tearing it up. You're yeah. completely rad in her eyes <laughs> and a badass. That's funny. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's funny when you like decide to learn something at forty. We learned, we started Pascal and I started surfing when we were forty four. And, no. Um, yeah, honestly, we started here at Pandose. We came down. I took my first lesson with Poyo. Who's, you know, have you met Poyo here? He's no. Badass, totally badass surfer. He did a headstand on the surfboard on his way in. I was awesome. like, okay, if you can do that, like I, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And um, so we just started. And the very first wave I took, I stood up and rode all the way to shore. And I was like, oh my god, this combined. I was a competitive swimmer. Um, you are through college, and um, so. Like, my sense of water and my love for being in water and being outdoors. You know, I lived in Vermont. I'm definitely a nature kid. So between sort of nature and swimming and yoga, it was like everything kind of came together with surfing. And, um, yeah, it's become a total love. Now just trying to balance keeping my yoga practice and the surfing in, you know, both of those going is challenging. Because yesterday I did two surf sessions and intermediate series, you know, and by the time... <laughs> the day was done. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. So now you have three fans. Yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I And that's why I thought it was not just for my daughter, for you to show up on a surfboard here, yeah. but for me. Yeah. Um, she get on a surfboard. I mean, I used to. I yeah. had slowly uh, phased it out. out. And yeah, and, and I, will, yeah. I won't lie to you. I mean, it just feels like this year has been a tough year. Big yeah. year of transition been feeling tired um, and not many people that I could talk to about it it seemed like you know we could talk about it ladies holiday you're allowed to talk about um, Mm -hmm. but even just you give it a code name and um, yeah I never give that a code name by the way and I'm really adamant about ladies holiday Um, so that's one thing actually I think it was in the magazine I wanted to talk to you about we'll do it yeah well ladies holiday is something that is something that needs to be acknowledged and respected and honored. And um, when people talk about it being a personal decision, there certainly is a personal aspect to it. But um, it goes well beyond um, the Ashtanga tradition into Ayurvedic medicine and the the values in the body and the governing aspects of, um, of the values during certain phases of the month. So when a woman is getting ready to bleed, the predominant force that should be happening in the body is apana, is the downward flow. So there's five values in the body. There's prana, which is 
people talk about that as the upward flowing energy, but it's not really upward flowing. It's inward. It's responsible for your inspiration, bringing in air, bringing in food, bringing in water, and it does rise up. Right? And then its sister is Apana, and she is responsible for all of the downward flowing energies in the body. So urination, defecation, menstruation, birthing, flatulence, and ejaculation. So all six of those are governed by Apana. Then you've got Samana, which is the energy around the navel center that's responsible for um, sort of the... the uh, the spark plug behind the digestion, and then viana, the spark plug behind circulation, and udana, which resides in the throat, and is um, responsible for everything that needs to come out, speech, belching, right? And this one's particularly important to open up so that prana can rise up. When udana is not open, prana doesn't go up. But back to bleeding, apana needs to be um, the predominant force for blood to flow properly. And the very use of Mulabandha and Uddiyanabandha reverse the flow of Apana. And so if you do that, you reverse that flow. You don't allow the flow to happen um, in a timely manner. So you can disrupt the flow and create longer, more painful periods for people. So if you want the flow to be roughly three days, which is about what it should be for a woman, um, and sort of clean and easy then you need to take those three days off from practice. So if somebody comes to me and they've been doing their practice and they're having difficulty, I ask them to make sure that they're taking off all of the days that they're bleeding. So if that's five days, if it's seven days, so that they can get themselves into a rhythm, and usually that will right itself within a few months. So if you can get the diet correct and you can get the practice correct, the, the flow will work much better. Nobody's ever explained that to me. Yeah, so it's really important. It's really, really, really important. And it's something that um, I have to say I bucked right at the beginning of practice because, you know, being a woman in, in this practice, I looked at the models ahead of me and it was the men that was telling me not to do this. And I thought, well, what do you know? You don't, you don't have a period. You don't know what this feels like. And so I, you know, I was, you know, quite defiant and, and it wasn't until I had this conversation with Nancy Gilgoff and, um, and, you know, at one point I said, okay, after, you know, we have this whole conversation about the values and how each one of them needs to be circulated and, you know, um, if you tell me at this point you really don't want me to practice, then I won't. And she said, I'm telling you. And I thought, wow, I thought I was convincing. I thought I won that one. And, um, and she said, no. And, and it definitely made a big difference for me. Um, in my sort of overall health. So, so, yeah, it's a really important thing because you can get things like endometriosis um, and, um, and also just the, the correct sort of circulation of the hormones needs to be acknowledged. You can do practices. It doesn't mean you can't do yoga. You can do restorative yoga practices. You can do gentle breathing exercises. You can do meditation. Um, Maya Tiwari, who's a really wonderful teacher, also recommends doing things like um, make ghee on those days. So, you know, do, do make make it a practice to do something else on those days so that you that. have things to do. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'd ever... That's... This is why... <laughs> We need a senior woman around sometimes yeah. to ask these. And that's, yeah. that was, I'm glad you shared that because yeah. I had never heard that. Yeah. Well, and most of the male teachers will either send somebody to me to ask because they don't really know how to talk about it. Sure. So, that and that's sense. fair. No, that's totally fair. Totally fair. Well, so, so now we get, uh, I mean, there's different phases in a woman's life. I mean, yeah. I, pregnancy, I've been through, um, I feel like, you know, 
more, I mean, people will come to me and they'll ask me yeah. um, during their pregnancy, different yeah. things. And the, those things I feel a little bit more comfortable having had two kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I'm feeling less comfortable knowing what you just explained, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then now I'm here and yeah. uh, I'm, I'll be 49 in a few weeks. Yeah. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, all of a sudden, I just got really tired. Mm-hmm. The past six months, it hit me. Mm-hmm. Really tired. So yeah. I went to a regular doctor, yeah. and I asked him to do some blood work. Yeah. And so he was going to do the regular. And I was like, could you check my hormone levels? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. So he checks my hormone levels, and he, and he says, oh, yeah, 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 you're in menopause. Yeah. And I said, okay. So, and he goes, yeah, I don't know. It could be a while. Yeah. And so I said, well, what do I do? Is there, yeah. but yeah. And so that's a super interesting time of life, um, for a woman. And, you know, there's, uh, in Ayurveda, they talk about different phases of a woman's life where you get to sort of reset and start over. And one is with the onset of menses. The second is with the birth of a child, and the third is with menopause. So we have three chances to sort of reset our bodies. So menopause is a really exciting time of life for a lot of women. And unfortunately, in the West, it's treated as almost a disease, you know, like, oh my gosh, you're going through menopause. Menopause is usually for most women about a 10-year process um, from the start of sort of a perimenopause thing to um, sort of the complete end And depending on somebody's health and on their um, dosha, uh, whether they're vata predominant, pizza predominant, kapha predominant, um, and also the imbalances that they're experiencing, menopause can either be easier or more difficult. Um, And managing stress during that time period is a really, really huge, um, it's important to manage stress during that time period because the body is able to steal from sex hormones to manufacture stress-fighting hormones, but not the other way around. So if you're stressed and your body is going through uh, a need to, um, to create more uh, hormones to, to battle the stress, it will steal estrogen and progesterone, which will monkey with the balance in the body and will set you into uh, even greater hormones balance, which is you know, not, not all that exciting. It's not unusual for a woman in the beginning of menopause um, to go through phases of tiredness. And sometimes that can, because, can happen because the periods become more erratic. And so they can either happen, you know, for me, I had a period, 10 days later, I had a period, 10 days later, I had a period. So that's an awful lot of blood loss. And I, too, at one point went through a phase not that long ago where I was extremely tired. Like, I couldn't get through primary series, which is unusual for me. I've had a 20-year practice. Primary series is something I do to relax, you know. And I would try to lift up, jump back, and it just wasn't happening. So I went in, and I had blood work done, and I actually was anemic, um, borderline anemic. And um, and, um, my vitamin D3 levels were low, despite the fact that I get plenty of sunlight, but um, the culture is 70% vitamin D deficient. So, um, so working with, um, with the anemia was really helpful, um, and I did that by using a product called Floridex, which is a Swiss um, herbal company um, that makes this uh, great liquid um, that's 
iron and um, uh, and herbs. So that was super helpful. The hard part with anemia and a uh, woman going through menopause and being vegetarian is that the heme that you get from meat products is different than the heme you get from plant products, and um, and it's not possible to get the particular heme that you need. So I started reintroducing some fish into my diet. My Ayurvedic um, doctor told me to do the same thing. Yes. He was adamant about it. Yeah. So, you know, there are times in an Ayurveda, even though from a karmic perspective, I would prefer to be completely vegetarian. There are times where um, Ayurveda says every substance is either medicine or poison. So, um, so you have to use use your judgment with that. So anyway, so menopause is another interesting time. And, you know, depending on what somebody's going through and their particular symptoms, you can deal with it with a variety of um, phytoestrogen type of things in your diet. Um, you can deal with it with um, cooling practices with breathing if you're, um, if you're dealing with things like hot flashes. Um, but, uh, but don't give up on your yoga practice. So I learned just to do what felt like it was giving me energy and not depleting the energy for the day. So my practice was scaled back pretty dramatically for six, eight months. Um, and it's really just since I've been in Costa Rica that I've ramped it back up again because I'm feeling healthy and strong. And in the water, I think the water's been really helpful. Um, just floating, I think having that element back is good. You feeling good? I just Cal made Peg cry. cry. Um, yeah, because it gives me hope. I mean, yeah. I had scaled. It was the first time I've ever scaled back my practice yeah. like that. And yeah. I, it's the first time I've ever been really tired. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird so, feeling. It is a weird feeling. And my yeah. daughter's out on the water with you on a board. And she comes back and tells me, and you're here, and I meet you. And I think, yeah. oh, I, that's this is why yeah. I know that you were yeah. sent and yeah, here yeah. for a reason. Um, and to hear you regaining that energy. I've been... Yeah. I've been doing this kind of on my own and, and managing on my own. And, you know, I talked to Jen about it and I said, I really needed to conserve my energy. And so I had made the personal decision to scale back and to, but there, there's a little in this society here, when you said, I'm going to go back to something you said, you said, it's a time to restart. Yeah. And, um, here in the and here in the West, we're not here in the West right now. <laughs> um, but in the West, it's an end, mm. and it's very much seen as one. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of emotion tied up in it, and yeah. and because I don't, ha there's not a lot of people to talk to about it or role models that might be yeah. around me or ahead of me or anything that I can look to. Yeah. It starts to feel like an end. It yeah. starts to feel like. I'm scared. This oh, this is what it feels like. This is yeah. the end. This is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Not a a restart. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm not even talking about physical practice. This is not what I. I mean, yeah. just simple energy levels. If yeah, yeah. you, you know, yeah. But I know plenty of vibrant women, and and I and I was I was frustrated with my own sort of um, fatigue. I was like, that's just so strange, right. you know. And, um, and then learning that, you know, I needed to adjust my diet. I needed to adjust my herbs. I needed to adjust my practices. And, um, I actually started chanting a lot more too, which was super, super helpful, um, during that time period and continued to, but, you know, in, in Ayurveda also, when, um, when you talk about the doshas, the doshas govern your constitution, but they also govern things like the weather and the times of day. They also govern the times of life and, 
during your early years, um, it's a kapha predominant time of life. So zero to puberty, roughly, is kapha. And then for a woman, from puberty, from the onset of menses through menopause, is considered the pitta time of life. And the pitta time of life is our productive doing, making, making families, making a living, making a career, um, making a home. And then we move into the vata time of life, which is the more airy, spacey, spiritual time of life. So it's a super exciting time of life because we can leave behind some of all the doing yeah. and be, do concentrate more on the being. And um, so I... I have to say, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> that makes me pretty stoked, too. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. So, Wow. Yeah. How'd you get so smart? <laughs> <laughs> just doing practice. You know, just doing practice. Yeah. You started... Practice? Yeah. The with... Ashtanga practice mm-hmm. when I was 29. So I was older by, you know, by the standards of a lot of people starting these days and um and i it really was almost by accident that i started practicing yoga um i'd been a competitive athlete um for a lot of my life and uh, i was a competitive swimmer and ran track in college and then i did some triathlons and then i just kind of kept doing stuff afterwards and then i you know ventured into the corporate world and um and at the age of maybe 28 or so, I started having back pain. And it just felt really odd to me. I couldn't really understand. It was sort of mid-back pain. And and I did a lot of, you know, alternative sort of things. Saw some chiropractors, saw some acupuncture, then went the Western route and had them do x-rays in my back. And, and uh, everyone said, you're fine. And I said, I'm not fine. Like, I'm so not fine. And um, so at one point, somebody just said, hey, have you tried doing some yoga? And I had done a little bit of yoga when I was in college, but I didn't really know what it was. I just thought it was sort of strange stretching. You know, it was between it was between swim season and track season. I was just trying to stay in shape, and you know, it was actually T.S. Little's mom um, that was the teacher, Susan Little. She was the at the school where I taught, and she was my first, my very first yoga teacher. And um, but um, well. yeah, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And, you know, so fast forward many years later, I thought, well, sure, I'll give yoga a try. And so I ventured into a yoga class, and maybe three weeks later, the back pain was almost gone. Wow. And um, so I was a believer. You know, it was, you know, I acupuncture wasn't working, chiropractic wasn't working, and I realized that it was stress. And a big piece of why it was working was I was taking two hours out of the day, in the middle of the day, at lunch, to just leave and get out of a desk chair and go move and breathe and stretch and um, and then very shortly after that I saw this advertisement for um, uh, a class that Kathy McNames was teaching and Kathy is the owner as a plug for Kath. Kath is the owner of Yoga Vermont up in uh, Burlington and um, this must have been in 96 somewhere around there 95 96 somewhere in there and it said intro to the primary series of Ashtanga. And I thought intro primary series, like, you know, sure. <laughs> and so I jumped in. I can do that, right? Anybody can do an intro to a primary series. And I did, I think that day, I think we did the whole primary series. And I think that it was four days later that I could start walking again. I, <laughs> I was in so much pain. And I thought, oh, my God, this is perfect. I love this, you know. And um, so that started my love affair with Ashtanga. And then I... Um, that was uh, right around when Beryl Bender Birch's first book came out, Power Yoga. 
think that came out in maybe 95 or so. And that's how I learned the primary series, which is not how I would particularly recommend it. But um, I still have my notebook from, um, from that time period where I wrote down every single breath and movement that you had to do for the whole primary series. So right from the very first sun salutation of inhale, bring your hands up, look at your thumbs, make sure your thighs are tight, you know, like every single detail that I could remember for every single breath um, because I was up in Vermont. And you know, so, cool. so Kathy was at Yoga Vermont. We became sort of practice partners and she could do more than I could do. I could kind of remember more. So we were good. <laughs> good, good combination there. And um, yeah, so then I studied with Beryl quite a bit and sort of started rolling from there. Met David Swenson. 98, I went to Maui. Met Nancy Gilgoff. In 2000, I met Guruji. And um, yeah, that's sort of all she wrote. What was Guruji like? Guruji was amazing. Um, the very first time I saw Guruji um, was in the Puck Building in New York when he came in, uh, in 2000. And... Um, and I was just standing there. I was with um, a friend of mine, and he walked in the room, and I didn't even, I didn't see him. He was in back of me, and I turned around, and I saw him, and I just burst into tears for no reason, for absolutely no reason other than, you know, it. I'd been doing this practice for about five years at that point, and I knew that my health and well-being was really um, very much due to, the teachings that he had shared with these other teachers that had shared them with me. So I met him there, um, and then, uh, and then I guess it was shortly after that I went to Maui. He was spending a month sort of touring the Hawaiian Islands. He was in Kauai mm -hmm. and Maui, so I went and spent that time um, there, and that was a pretty special time because I was living with Nancy, um, who was who was um, his first Western student. So they have a really special and lovely relationship. Um, it was really uh, an honor and a pleasure to be around the two of them when they would talk. So I got to know him and his family during that time period. And then in 2002, I think it was, Nancy and I went to Mysore together, and Nancy's daughter Vanessa was with us. And so that was also a very cool time, because we were still in the old Shala in Lakshmi Forum, and I was there with Nancy and with Vanessa, and I and I got to be with Guruji and Sharat in a very small room and um, work my tail off. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah, there was, there's only 12 students and two teachers in the room. Yeah. No hiding. No hiding. No hiding. No. Yeah, it was hard. I, um, I was nervous. I remember the very first practice. I remember sitting on the stairs outside of the shala and just sweating before I even got in there because I really didn't know what to expect. And all you kept hearing was, one more. <laughs> One more. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I remember when the one more was called and I stood on the front of my mat and I was just shaking to get started. And that went away pretty quickly. But, yeah, so, so it was really a special time. How many yeah. years did you visit? To Mysore? Um, oh. I've probably been there well, in 2015. That was 2002. I've probably been there eight times maybe. Wow. Something like that. At um, at one point, I was, you know, I had to save up a lot of money. I, I wished that I could have gone to Mysore before I did, but I was flat broke. Yeah. And um, so it was a, I had already, by the time I got to Mysore, I had already learned um, through Advanced Day. Um, but I was 
just doing primary series when I was there and was totally grateful for just being able to, to do that. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't really learn the asanas per se from Guruji. I just learned about yoga from him and uh, from being in his presence. Yeah, I think that's pretty special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was. I felt. I felt really, really lucky. But, you know, in terms of asana, the you know the people that really taught me how to do that were Beryl and David Swenson. I learned an awful lot from David, um, and I'm forever grateful for him. And and then Nancy taught me the advanced series. So, uh, I had told you this. I, yeah. um, I have never practiced with Nancy, and I. Yeah. Emma was a little scared of her. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy's just strong, you know. She's a really strong woman, and um, and uh, yeah, I can. I mean, I can see why people would say that. Um, she's quiet, um, but she's probably one of the most compassionate teachers on the planet. You know, she came to the practice, um, and I'm not speaking out of school because this is the story she tells. Her story. She came to the practice quite sick. And, um, and it was the practice and Guruji that really gave her her life back. Um, so her relationship to him and to this practice is very, very strong. Um, and so she treats the practice with reverence. Um, and she teaches, you know, Guruji, when he would authorize you to teach, the thing that he would tell people is to teach what I've taught you, which is an interesting thing to say because... Guruji taught all of us very differently. Uh, and so when there are nuances in the way that people teach, I find that fascinating and not confusing because he taught us all very differently and he taught us individually. And I've had really interesting conversations with Nancy about different things that he either adjusted me or did or said to me and wondering, was that a teaching for me was that a teaching that was evolving over time for him or was he how he want was it how he wanted everything taught you know for example the very last adjustment that Guruji gave to me I was in Mysore and um, it was the last trip that I was there before he passed away and he changed the um, the head position for me in yoga mudra I had always put my chin on the floor and had third eye drishti, brahmati drishti. And he took the bun. Guruji was fond of grabbing my hair when he wanted to do something. You have great hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was never, with Guruji, I never really had a question about where he wanted my head because he would just grab my hair yeah. and, and adjust <laughs> my neck, you know. Christine, why not touching? Bend your neck. You know, you're gonna be like, what the heck? So, but in that last posture, he tucked my chin and told me nose drishti. Now that was a change, and and is not how it's written in the in the book in the mala. Right? Yoga mala. So, um, so I was talking with Nancy about this and saying, okay, did he change how he wanted this done, um, or was that because I'd been practicing for a certain amount of time, and now I was ready for this next level? Or like, and so some of these things are um, nuances in the practice, and it takes um, a personal exploration to figure out what is correct. So when I teach that posture now, I show both variations and tell people, 
you need to experience both of those and maybe make up your mind. And if I have an opinion for someone, then I'll tell them what that should be. But it's, um, you know, because this was a verbal tradition and parampara, being in the presence of your teacher, is so important, sometimes it's, um, you know, the, in the, it's like the telephone game. You know, I told you this and you told him that and they said this. And so trying to remember, trying to remember and um, keep the teachings as authentic as possible is, is a challenge and is important at the same time. Which is one of the reasons that I try to use Guruji's exact words at different times because he, because then you can interpret it for how you think he said it. But there were very distinct things that he would say, and so I will use his words as often as I can. Or I have several conference notes that I have transcribed, and I'll read what he said because I really love hearing his voice over and over again and just in reading what he said is important. He should publish those. He should publish them. Yes. Yeah. You know what? They're kind of personal. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm know, sure So, are. yeah. I mean, I read them and sometimes when I teach, I'll read them like when people are lying in final rest. Mm -hmm. I'll read, you know, a piece of some of the conference notes that I have. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, again, they're my transcription. They're yeah. my transcription of his words. So, um, we talked yeah. about that this morning. That was something that one mm -hmm. of our students asked was, we want to know which one is right. Sometimes mm. there's differences, and that was exactly what we had talked about, was the way he had taught everybody yeah. differently and uniquely, and that we try to take as much of our spin on things out of it as we can, but it's hard. Sure. And so I often will use the book and just yeah. go to go to the book, and yeah. now Schrott's book, and just yeah. kind of read what is written um, so that I don't put my own spin on it and allow, because some of it has to be experienced mm -hmm. and, yeah. well, all of it has to be experienced, yeah. but even putting words to something creates yeah. Yeah. my own, yeah. my own coloring. I color yeah. it with whatever words I choose, yeah. Yeah. um, in any interpretation. Yeah. And it's, and I think that that's okay. I think it's all good. And I think, you know, one time I was talking with Nance and she was saying that she had a conversation with him about, um, about different people teaching and, you know, did it bother him that maybe some people that were not so experienced were teaching? And he said, no. You know, he said, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will show up. So each time, you know, as a student needs to move, move on, they'll find the teacher that is helping them move forward. So, but I think that it's, I think... You know, one thing that I have found over time is I, I was very lucky um, that I ended up studying with Nancy and with Guruji because I feel like I have a very clear um, direction. Um, mm -hmm. I know about the alignment from the way that Guruji touched me, from the way that Nancy touched me. I adjust people the way that both of them have helped me, and I feel like it's direct from them. I also feel like it's um, unique to them. Um, because there are other people that studied in that generation or even just a little bit younger, and they teach a little bit differently. So, you know, um, I think it's all good. I think that anything that moves us toward um, um, further self-transformation, further self-exploration, further self-questioning, I think all of that stuff is really important. Because that's what really what Guruji wanted. You know, when he would talk about the yoga, he would just talk about you know, seeing God everywhere, 
you know. And whenever you asked him questions, that was really one of the fun parts about being with him was when he would do conference and people would ask him questions because he had very few answers to things. You know, the answer to almost every question was Mulabanda, take your breathing, keep your mind on God. You could pretty much ask any question and that would be that would be the answer. <laughs> you know. And that pretty much sums it up. Mulabanda is for your body. Take your breathing is for your spirit, and keep your mind on God is, you know, is for your mind, you know. He talked about this practice as mind control, strengthening the body, purifying the body. But really what he wanted was just peace of mind. And I think that's why all of us do this, is some attempt at coming into the present moment and, and um, experiencing some peace of mind. It's like surfing. You cannot not be in the present moment surfing. You get crushed by a wave. This morning, I was not in the present moment because I was really super tired from overdoing surfing yesterday. And I'd had a fun session this morning with your daughter and went to get out and just wasn't paying attention to my final two steps, final two steps out of the water. I was already done surfing. And a wave came from behind, took up the board, and hit me in the head. You know? So it's about really every breath, you know, being present. How many breaths do you take in a day? I don't know. Yes. I have no clue. Upwards of 20,000. Wow. Wow. How many of those are any of us aware of? The ones in my practice are probably, probably about the it. only <laughs> one. Right? Or right before I go to sleep. Right. And so, in, and you know, in the, in the scriptures they talk about how the only thing that's truly present is the breath they're taking now. So if we are really trying to practice yoga... We are always trying to come back to just our relationship with breath and present moment. So, Christine, I feel yeah. like I feel like we could sit here for another few weeks, okay. <laughs> months. No, uh, I've been here seven weeks. I, <laughs> I have to go home. My students are not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you know, it, you were reluctant. To, to do to this. Sit down. Yes. Yeah. You're good at it, though. This was a little, wow. this was a little arm wrestling um, for yeah. you. I was sitting here wondering if we could talk you into giving us a private tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but we're not done the podcast yet. <laughs> Before we go into private, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I, this was hard for you to, to come, to talk. Yeah. You were reluctant. I was. Why? Yes. You know what? I don't know. I feel like there's... I feel like there's so many other people that say it better so I don't know I get I get shy I enjoy actually this isn't so bad because I'm just talking to you but if you put me on the spot I usually get um, tongue-tied so yeah but I think yeah information is important at this point I've been doing this 20 years you know so I feel like I, I have experience doing it but then I look at people that have 40 years experience and I think, God, where am I going? I remember early on in my yoga career asking Nancy um, a question. I'd been practicing maybe seven or eight years. And she said, um, after you've practiced for at least a decade, then ask me that question. And I used to think about this practice in terms of, you know, years, this many years of practice. Now I'm starting to think I'm actually starting my third decade of practice, you know, like yeah. it's much longer, you know. The, the relationship is continuing to develop and um, and become, you know, increasingly interesting. So, and, you know, Guruji was, when he talked about taking practice, 
you know, he would go back to, there's a sutra that talks about how to make progress um, and how to, um, well, the, the sutra is Satu Dirgakala Nairantarya Satkarisevito Dhritabhumihi. For a practice to become Dhritabhumihi, to become firmly grounded, you need to have three things. You need to pick something to do. And in sutras, he doesn't actually tell us what to do, but it has to be done, dirgakala, for a long time. Nairantarya, uninterruptedly, satkarisevito, with devotion, right? So you need those three things. And I feel like that for a long time, Guruji would say, not a year, not 10 years, but your whole lifetime. You know, so even 20 years still feels like this much. So when you say you're reluctant to talk, I'm not reluctant to talk. I just feel like I'm still learning so much. I feel like there's so much ahead of me, you know, to keep learning. And and then, so that's, I think, what keeps it exciting. You know? Even in the repetition, I find it really funny that people call Ashtanga boring, you know, because how can something where you're, where you have to, how can, it, that basically calls yourself boring, you know, because you're just meeting yourself every day. So how can that be boring? You know? But isn't that why, I mean, yeah. don't, isn't that why we go outside of ourselves? I mean, yeah. because we yeah. don't find ourso- I mean, yeah. ourselves as interesting as yeah. Yeah. anything else out there. And, but yeah. it does lead us back, yeah. um, for sure. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm just, in one breath I'm saying, why? And on the other breath saying, I'm really grateful that you did because I do believe you were here, not yeah. just to surf um, <laughs> this week. Uh, I was asking about you. I was like, have you ever met Christine Hort here? Like, wait, have you ever met Christine Hort? And I said, she's <laughs> always here right around the time I am, yeah. but I've never met her. And I'm, and I'm looking, and when Megan said that she had met you yeah. out in the water. Yeah, oh, that was cool. I, I thought that's, yeah. that's really meant to be. Yeah. Um, and, but I also hope that you will use... Uh, different ways to communicate and to mm-hmm. and to teach from afar. I mean, this this was very helpful for me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing a podcast right now, and I hope that maybe there's someone else out there that it's helpful for. And I imagine yeah. there's many, yeah. but this was selfishly for me. Yeah, I knew that I wanted to connect uh, with you for some reason. Um, and when I knew you were on a board out there surfing, I yeah. knew you were the right person to talk to. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time away. No um, well, there's no surf right now. It's low okay. tide. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll surf again later tonight. Yeah. It's, it's fun. You know, I think, um, well, you know this as a teacher. If one person has a question, then there's a bunch of other people in that room that have the same question. So it's not just selfish. There's a lot of people that are out there. There's a lot of women out there going through this um, change. And, um, you know, we're kind of all growing up together. Um, If you look at the history of Ashtanga, the first Western women that are practicing this are now in sort of the late 60s. So it's really young. I mean, we're basically a big experiment right now. Like, how do we handle things like... Um, pregnancy and birth and you know a great book just came out that um, is written by a friend of our Sharmila my partner Pascal designed it Um, it's on my blog yeah yeah yeah. so that's a really super great resource Um, and it's called sadhana 
Yeah, a practice for women. I a think. practice for women. Practice yes, practice for women, mm-hmm. and um, and that's uh, and that's important. And one of the things that you will see if you read that book is just how different each of those women dealt with their pregnancies mm-hmm. and motherhood, um, because it's it's a huge um, it's a huge issue for people to how to how to manage um, your own personal development and chunk out time for that while you're raising a family. So there are, there's a whole generation of women that are right now in their late sixties that are the first women to really push into that age range that are actively practicing. And I I was just in Maui in November, December, and I was doing practice with some women, um, Spring Manju and Lucy Martorella and Nancy and, these are all the women that are in that first generation, and they're rocking their practices, um, and they've changed, you know. But um, but they're really, really devoted to daily practice, and that to me is the way to keep this fountain of youth. Um, and that, you know, when Krishnamacharya was asked at a hundred years what was important in life, he talked. One of the things he talked about was longevity, and he said. We need longevity. We need the time um, to do the work that we are on this planet to do. So having that, you need, he, he talked about the three things that were important were health, longevity, and peace of mind. And he said, for those things, for health, you do the nasana practice. For longevity, you do a pranayama practice. And for peace of mind, you do a meditation practice. Um, but longevity is something that's really important. And, you know, you would see this if you practice with Guruji, I mean, at 90 years old, he was in the room doing dropbacks with people for hours, you know? I mean, it's extraordinary. His shakti, his power, you know, and that that was inspirational to so many people. And also his joy, you know, and that's something that I think can get lost in the Ashanga room is just flat-out happiness, you know? We're meant to be joyful beings, and he could be very stern with us, but he also, you know, could turn around and just, you'd be working so, so hard trying to, you know, to please him, because he was your teacher, and he was so wonderful, and you just wanted to do well for him, and he'd look, and he'd go, why? (laughs) Why Why are you working so, you know, like, why, you know, and it was just wonderful. How would somebody study with you? How does somebody study with me? Um, well, right now, I'm in a little bit of a transition. Probably the best way to find me is on a website, Um I'll be teaching. I have a studio um, in Montauk, New York, and I'll be teaching there and at other places. But right now, I'm going to probably, for the next year or so, mostly be traveling to teach. So people will have to visit a website to figure out where I am. Um, I come to Costa Rica every year for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to take some people to India um, in January um, with Robert Moses on a Namarupa um, tour um, to do a pilgrimage, a yatra, um, in South India. Um, That's just in its planning stages right now. Um, But right now, yeah, I'm interested in working with people for intensive periods of time, you know, shorter intensive periods of time. I miss, I just, you know, I, I just moved from Vermont where I had had uh, a studio called Bristol Yoga for, since 1997, so for a long time. 
And, um, and that studio is continuing on under the name The Village Shala with a really wonderful woman named Anna Blackwell. Um, so I'm not in Vermont anymore, so I don't have a daily Mysore program. But starting in May, I'll be teaching a Mysore program in Montauk. Um, but the details are still being worked out. But we can find yeah. information for upcoming, the, the intensive, yeah. the pilgrimage, all yeah. of that on your website. On the website, yeah. yeah. I have a feeling that yeah. next year I'm yeah. coming to Costa Rica two weeks early. early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to do practice. I absolutely foresee Actually, that. that. I, think, uh, I think a couple of years ago we had um, a couple of other teachers did the same thing. They bookended their teaching trips with studying with me in between. Smart, totally. Which is cool. Yeah. Right? That's really fun. Okay, Jen and I are sold. Oh, yeah. All thank you, Christine. You're I really so appreciate it. Yeah. First of many. First of many. <laughs> First of many. Thanks for sharing the special birthday with me today. As I enter what Christine calls a super exciting time, a time to reset, leave behind the doing, and concentrate on the being. I have to admit, I am pretty stoked. You can find Christine and her board in Montauk, New York. Visit ashtangamontauk.com to learn more. The Ashtanga Dispatch was brought to you today by me, Peg Queen, along with two other pretty important women in my life, Jen Renee, my close friend and teaching partner, and my daughter and talented photographer, Megan Powell. But this podcast would also not be without my producer and editor, Chris Lucas. You can and should learn more about Chris by visiting his website at cwlucas.com. Stay tuned next week when two students turn the table and interview Jen and me getting all sorts of dirt and secrets out of us, like who the mastermind was behind Ashtanga Dispatch, including the name, whether there will be another issue in print, And of course, will we ever get more men's styles of tanks? And one more surprise you won't want to miss. So don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.